When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody. Thank you, Mike Ross, for that fine introduction. Welcome to Leaf Sky, Episode 26, Season 3. Jim Taddy with you for the next 20 minutes or so. Dave McCarthy from SiriusXM, NHL.com, is our special guest today. And before we get going, something you should consider, and it goes exactly like this. It's NBA playoffs time. That means big hoops action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Get in on all the action in every game with the touch of a button. New customers can make a $5 pregame money line bet and score $150 in bonus bets if their team wins. Plus, everyone can score a no-sweat same-game parlay every day during the NBA playoffs. Open the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt-in, place a same-game parlay in any NBA game. If it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus backup bet of up to $10. Here is the call to action. Download the app now. Sign in with the code THBN. New customers can make a $5 pregame money line bet and score $150 in bonus bets if their team wins only at DraftKings Sportsbook with the code THPN. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for complete details. All right, on to the hockey story. What do we have here? A new definition for contrast. Game one, the Leafs start their fourth line against Tampa's fourth line, give up a goal. They ice the puck after 15 seconds in that first period, couldn't get out of the zone, turnover in the neutral zone, puck goes in the net one nothing the tone was set Leafs could do nothing about it they lost 7-3 and as you're well aware on Thursday night the answer back happened 7-2 the Leafs went over Tampa Tampa losing bodies with injury a lot of them concussions so that's going to leave a mark and the Leafs of course without Michael Bunting and that's kind of a weird story we'll develop in our conversation with Dave McCarthy he got a three-game suspension for a blatant elbow to the head and that was cause for concern but the Leafs seemed to do okay without him what do I make of this series well it's going to go back and forth I think Tampa's just going run out of energy and bodies at some point and the lease will prevail. That's what I'm saying now. Here is the conversation with Dave McCarthy from NHL.com Sirius XM. Okay, Dave, talk about redefining contrast. That's what the Leafs and Tampa have done in the first two games. What do you make of it? Well, I didn't see the series playing out the way it has through two games. I'll put it that way. Uh, I expected quite frankly, much more close games. Um, not a, a dismantling on one side in game one, followed by an absolute return serve of the dismantling in game two. So it's just interesting how this series has played out very similarly to last year in the sense that uh, Toronto dismantled Tampa Bay in game one last year and then with a chance to take a stranglehold in game two, they came out with a listless effort. This time around, it was a listless effort in Game 1. And with a, with their backs up against the wall, uh, my goodness, did they ever show up in Game 2. So 
essentially we head down to Tampa now for game three with very much the, uh, the same circumstance at hand, though the emotional level, I think, um, is, is a little bit different than it was a year ago. I think on Toronto's part, uh, last year it was disappointment. This year it's relief, and I guess you could say the same is, is true for Tampa Bay, but again, vice versa. Instead of uh, relief, it's, it's disappointment. Yeah, I mean, when you lose 7-3 in the home opener on your home ice, it's not hard to fix that because there's literally everything that's wrong with that game can be tweaked. And, and it starts, for me, uh, when you go back to the, the Tuesday night opener, they started the fourth line, which struggled, iced the puck early, then a turnover in the neutral zone, and it's in the net that fast. Uh, and so the, the automatic change would be don't start the fourth line in game two, and they didn't. They started the big boys, drew a penalty, and got a goal. That's quite a contrast there, too, isn't it? Yeah, I think at times in game one, especially early in that game, Sheldon Keefe might have gotten his own way to an extent, trying to be too cute with the matchups. You know, at some point, you just got to look Austin Matthews and Mitchell Marner in the face and say to them, you know what, fellas, Um, you're going to go out against Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov or whoever it is that Tampa throws out. Just be better than them. And you can be on any given night. And I think if you're going to go down in a series, uh, what I'm suggesting is if you're going to lose a series, I think we'd all much rather see a team lose um, with its big guns drawn rather than dinking and dunking around looking for matchups where you essentially shoot yourself in in the foot. Like that that fourth line shift early in the game in game one was, was terrible. They had a couple of chances to get it out after they lost the opening draw. Tampa Bay proceeds to dump it right in their corner. They roll around, Leafs can't get it out, and roll around a bit more, chance to get it out, roll around a bit more, Aston Reese, chance to get it out a third time, puts it right up the middle of the ice into, into Braden Point's uh, skates, I think it was, um, or rather Corey Perry skates, and, and you know, he circles the net in period where Belmar jams it in. So, I mean, that to me is, is beating yourself. Um, yeah. And in game two, it was the complete opposite. They put the big boys on the ice. Um, they, they, they advanced the puck toward Tampa zone. A great play by Mitchell to, uh, to, to read the play, create a turnover, draw a penalty. Then within 47 seconds, you're in control of the game with a goal, and you never look back, really, right? So um, that was, uh, to me, good to see. And, um, you know, I, I think it inspires confidence to an extent because when you're on the road, like they will be for game three, you really can't dink and dunk with the matchups. John Cooper's going to have that, that ability with the last change. You have to put your best guys on the ice and tell them just go be better than the guy that's looking, looking across the ice at you. I think Toronto's big guys should be able to do that if they can. I think Toronto's got other problems. Yeah, I mean, there's some really bad decision-making on the ice and behind the bench in Game 1. That was rectified, and that was a nice win by the Leafs in Game 2. I guess the question that comes out of that is, what sticks to the wall? Well, what sticks to the wall is Michael Bunting's gone for another two. So let's go to that elbow. As, as egregious as the elbow was, it did cause an injury. Not that I'm suggesting you do that, but it does step into a problem Tampa's going to have. I think they have three people. I don't know what Kalorn's status is, but but I wouldn't be surprised if that was a concussion too. If you have three guys with concussion and then a, a, a hobbled headman, I mean, that's not good for Tampa, is it? No, it isn't. No, it isn't. I mean, I think Toronto did a really good job in game two of exposing Tampa's blue line. Um, they, they did a much better job. You know, it sounds like a cliche, but 
you know, quite honestly, cliches generally are cliches because there's some truth to them. Leafs got pucks in deep, made uh, Tampa Bay's defenseman turn and dig the puck out of their corner. And then they were right on top of them, using their body, being physical, creating turnovers, and getting some sustained pressure um, and, and putting pressure on, on Tampa's defense. I thought Toronto did a really, really good job of that in game two. And that's going to be a problem for the Lightning. When you look at their blue line right now, you know, you're, you're top four if you're John Cooper last night. It was Mikhail Sergachev, Darren Radish, Ian Cole, and Nick Purvix. Like, my word, that's a big difference uh, from where we were a year ago when his top four was Victor Hedman, Eric Chernak, uh, you know, Ryan McDonough, and throw Sergachev or Jan Ruta in whoever you want as the fourth guy. I mean, that is, just, that is polar opposite, to, to be quite honest. Um, and, and if Chernak isn't back and we're still unsure what Hedman's status is, yeah, that's an area that Toronto continues to have to, is going to have to continue to, to find a way to punish and, and expose because that's a real, real deficiency on Tampa Bay's part right now. Yeah, totally agree with that. And let's not forget that halfway through game one, they were they were hobbled to four defensemen because Chernak and, and Hedman had been knocked out of the game for different reasons. So that blue line is being stretched very thin and certainly exploitable by the Leafs, to say the least. And really, you know, it goes back to all those things the Leafs did at the trade deadline, adding three forwards and three defensemen. Uh, so you could see that, you know, for Tampa, with all due respect, they've had great runs. There's no question about it. And back-to-back cups, but time is the always the, the winning element here and you know i think maybe for them they're, they're just going to run out of bodies at some point time always wins and the salary cap always wins right because those are the two things that are conspiring against the lightning these days um obviously the guys that they have still in the lineup are getting another year older and it's not like from 24 to 25 it's like from 31 to 32 with uh, a lot of mileage on their bodies over the last three years with the runs that they've gone on to cup finals each of the last three years. So that conspires against you. And the salary cap conspires against you too. Like they didn't want to trade Ryan McDonough. Let's, let's not kid ourselves here. They had no choice because they had, had, had some decisions that they had to make in terms of other guys that they wanted to retain who were, who were younger, like Mikhail Sergachev. Um, so their hand was forced that way. So you know, those, those two factors are, are a significant hand on the scale of this series that I think um, can and has and should tilt it somewhat to Toronto's favor. And I guess, you know, another point I'll make about game one, which was really disappointing, you know, you're right, uh, Jim. They were down to four D-men for pretty well the second half of that game, like 30 minutes after Chernak went out of the lineup. And instead of making an investment in the in the rest of the series in the third period um, by making those four D-men pay a price, even when the game was out of reach, Toronto just looked like they wanted to, to play running time in the third and, and get the hell out of there, which it was concerning, but credit to them, they flipped the script. Um, but they'll have to continue to play physically and, and pressure that Tampa blue line because that is... If you're on the whiteboard in the leaf room in the meeting before the game, you know, in the morning, the blue line is an area that you circle, you underline, you highlight, you draw stars next to as the area of the team that needs to be exposed. 
Yeah, and you know the the other the other point of that is is that there's another contrast. Uh, the Leafs were blown out in Game One and had no physical response, and Thursday night Tampa was blown out and they had tons of physical yes. response for whatever that's worth. Well, and that and we'll see. We don't know what it's worth now, but we'll see. You know, it, it is true though that is an investment in the remainder of the series. Um, you know, and I'm trying not to be Neanderthal and all of that, but I, I do think there is some worthwhile. Um, something worthwhile in 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 making a statement like that and just reminding the, your opponent that we're not going to go meekly into the night here, fellas. We didn't have it tonight, but you know, watch out for next game because we're going to be ready to go. I say that now. Leafs could win six two tomorrow, and then I sound like a dope. But if uh, if they don't, and Tampa shows up and and they start to wear Toronto down, you know, then it looks like it was a lot more. Uh, relevant, and I guess. Look, the the counter argument is: well, Leafs didn't do it in Game One, and and then they pumped Tampa in Game Two. So what does it really matter? But you know, we'll see. I still think there's something to um, making sure your opponent doesn't know you're just going to walk away quietly. Yeah, and we're not predicting that the Leafs are going to win out here. Tampa's going to answer back, and let's not forget about Vasilevsky and, and how proficient. He is after a bad performance. And I'm looking forward to see what he will respond with in game three. But let's get back to the headliner. Michael Bunting gets a three-game suspension. Um, I didn't have any problem with the suspension. I knew that that was going to be a, a severe bit of punishment based on the wording of the penalty at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, deliberate contact to the head always brings a, a supplemental sentence with it. Um, and, and I don't, you know, I was, I said at the time, you know, I, I don't know how they get him back in this series because if, if there's, uh, you, know, you know, if they bring him back and it, regardless of what the series is after four games, he's going to become a bit of an issue again, whether he does anything about it or not. Well, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, if Matthew Nyes had gone in yesterday and played a great game to where you look at him, and you say, well, I, I just can't take this guy out of the lineup. I'd give some credence to that, and, and maybe over the next two games in Tampa, uh, he will. But I don't know about you, and I, I feel like I'm in the minority here on this. Like, I haven't been blown away by what I've seen by Matthew Nice to this point. I think, I mean, he took two penalties last night. I think in the defensive zone, um, and this goes into the, the regular season games that he played, the three at the end of the year there, I've really found him to be reaching a lot defensively like a step yep. behind the plate, not like just a little bit out of position, which leads to, you know, having a hook or slash or whatever, and you end up in a penalty box. That's what I've seen in the defensive zone. And I haven't seen a lot of pop in his step. Like he just doesn't seem to be explosive to me. I haven't seen him really handle the puck all that much to where he really starts to control the play. I think one of the, the elements of concern about his game coming in was his skating that, you know, he had success in college because he was, he was twice as big as everybody else. But in the, in the National League, you're not twice as big as everybody else. Uh, but will your skating be able to, to, to compensate for that? And if not that, you're smart. It's like Ryan O'Reilly is not a, a burner by any stretch of the imagination, but he's so intelligent the way he plays – he never puts himself in a bad spot where he needs an extra step and a half to get back to a better position. So, um, I don't know. What, what have you thought? Because to me, he's just been a guy that's been out there, um, hasn't helped in my mind at times has put them in a tight spot with taking bad penalties. Um, 
you know, and at best it's just been a guy that's filled some minutes. I think if, if bunting is eligible to return, that there's still a, a reason to consider getting him back into this series. Yeah, I, I agree with your assessment on Nice. Yeah, there, there's that, you know, first step acceleration is a problem. Um, reaching is a problem because you, you can't reach anymore. You, you end up getting a, a hooking penalty or, or interference penalty or, or whatever. Um, and, and, yeah, he hasn't, you know, he's only played a couple of games in the NHL. That, that was his first playoff game. So he doesn't know where to be exactly. I mean, this is a great long-term project and prospect, but for immediate results, I, I wouldn't really count on anything here. My concern would be, and this is a, in a positive situation, the Leafs were to win the next two games and go up 3-1, to one, and then they reinsert bunting into the lineup, mm-hmm. and, and then it becomes an issue again. Now, it's going to really be up to him to rein all of that stuff in and just play, play a good game instead of trying to, to generate something that doesn't need to be generated. You're right. It, ultimately, it's going to fall on Michael Bunning to to re-earn not just the trust of, of Sheldon Keith, but really re-earn the trust of the officials, right? And he's he's put himself in a, a tight spot. I don't even know if he can if he can do it this year. If there's enough racetrack, um, enough of a sample size for him to rebuild that trust at this time of the year. Um, but look, it can be done. We remember what happened with Nazem Kadri, who, who despite uh, other networks' uh, desires to drag him into it, uh, he has made clear that please leave me out of it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but but he he amended his game last year, right in Colorado with the Avalanche, yeah. where you know he put all the nonsense from from the Leafs seasons and even his first year in Colorado behind him. Um, and man, was he effective for Colorado in the playoffs last year. Uh, it can be done, but it's not easy to do. And that's going to be on Michael Bunning to make sure. Like, you, you, you have to understand now, if, if the line is here and you try to play your game by going up to the line, well, maybe if you're Michael Bunning, you got to play your game, still find a way to be effective, but stay two steps from the line because your line is not where everyone else's line is in the minds of the officials. It's a tough um, comparison for radio, I know, but I think I've created the mental image that you can understand what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and, and the game, game one, he suckers Chernak into a penalty, and then minutes later, he tries to sucker him into another one by elbowing him in the head. I mean, that's just that's just a clear lack of judgment. So I'm going to suggest to you that when he does come back, he does not play with Matthews and Marner. He's on the third line. Interesting. And, and you keep Yarncroc up with uh, Matthews yeah. and Marner? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it, it's interesting. Um the, the question will be then, how does Sheldon Keefe want to deploy that line, which would, I guess, then be uh, O'Reilly between Bunting and um, uh, who, who am I blanking on? Kerfoot. Here? Kerfoot, right. Um, they're not thrilled with, with Michael Bunting's play defensively, right? And that's not really a strength of his game. So... Um, look, the earliest he can get back is game five, which would be at home, which means that Sheldon Keefe has more control over the matchup. But I, I thought what happened last night is the, the balance of the lines uh, was really good, and they were able to deploy O'Reilly's line in defensive situations. Um, will they be comfortable doing that with bunting on that line? Um, I don't know. That would, be, that would be the question, and I think the, uh, the decision that Sheldon Keefe would have to make but um, 
in saying that, it's a privilege to play with Matthews and Marner. And, and right now, I'm not sure that, that Bunting has that, that privilege. So that's going to be the calculus um, to try and figure out where he would fit um, in the lineup. Uh, could you, would, would, you be, uh, would you be open to uh, a situation with having uh, Bunting with uh, Tavares and Nylander? Do you think that's something that you'd go down, Jim? I, no, I, I want to keep him out of the spotlight. I, I want uh, I want everybody else to take care of business, and I want I want him out of the spotlight. And I would even look at putting him on the fourth line if if need be, because I just I don't need that, especially going into Game Five. I, I don't need a reoccurrence because it's going to be costly not only to Mister Bunting but also to the team. And that, the Game Five could be a, a either an elimination game or certainly a sway game. Oh, 100 percent, right? If they, if it's one one, that's that's the chance to go up 3-2. I mean, that's game five is, is oftentimes a must-win game in a series. So, um, no, it's going to be interesting to see because, like, I think you can build arguments for a number of different areas. If you put them with, with Bunting, Tavares, and, or put Bunting with Tavares and Nylander, you know, maybe that's a line that you're, you're looking to put out predominantly in offensive situations because Willie isn't exactly the most proficient guy defensively either. So, you know, can you hide him that way in terms of playing him in, in more offensive situations with a couple of offensive guys, uh, but still not have him on the, the top line? You know, maybe, but I see what you're saying as well. Um, you know, I'm just not sure that if you put Bunting on a third line, if, if it renders that line somewhat less useful uh, to how Sheldon Keefe wants to, to, to approach the game. Well, you know, a lot of it depends on series situation, and you may start a game one way but end it up another way, so you right. have to sort of adjust on the fly. The only thing I'm going to say, Dave, is this is one of my popular phrases is, we'll see. <laughs> we will see, and yeah. I'll tell you what, here's another one. Once he gets back in the lineup, it is non-negotiable that he finds a way to uh, amend his style of play. Unless it has an odd look. Dave, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. <laughs> Playing the hits, Jim. I love it, buddy. <laughs> Last minute of play in this podcast. Thank you, Mike Ross, for that time. Warning time now for Lickety Split. Yes, guy, no guy on the way out. Yes, guy, no guy number one. You have changed your series prediction. Absolutely no guy. Thought it was going to go in six. Still think it's going to go in six. We'll see. Yes, guy, no guy number two. The Leafs will win the battle of attrition. Well, that's a big yes guy. The Tampa Bay Lightning are battered and bruised. Several concussions, and definitely the Leafs on health alone will prevail in this series. Yes, guy. Yes, guy, no guy number three. And the final yes guy, no guy of this particular segment on this particular podcast. Samsonov will continue to evolve. Oh, yes, guy. He will get the job done. I'm not too worried about that. Thanks for downloading Leafs Guy, episode 26. Hope you come back next week for episode 27.